So this morning, we're going to begin by all reading Psalm 4 so that we can have scripture right away. And then I'm going to kind of lead us in, it's just a, I have actually, you know, I script stuff out and I have quite a bit before we even get to the Psalms this morning because I want to prepare our hearts for it just and, um, and, and get to the core of it as we, as we read through the Psalms. So let's, and like I sent out yesterday, let's start with all together, corporately, reading Psalms 4. And I, I have it in the NIV, um, just like I said, because I kind of like the flow of it a little bit better in that translation, at least in the Psalms. So, um, it, you know, when we all read together, it doesn't always flow real well, but that's all right. I want to I read it out loud together. So, in fact, will you all stand with me as we read the words of our Lord through the pen of David? I should always say, if you are able to stand, stand with us. Let's do Psalm 4. Answer me when I call to you, O my righteous God. Give me relief from my distress. Be merciful to me and hear my prayer. How long, O men, will you turn my glory into shame? How long will you love delusions and seek false gods? Know that the Lord has set apart the godly for himself. The Lord will hear when I call to him. In your anger, do not sin. When you are on your beds, search your hearts and be silent. Offer right sacrifices and trust in the Lord. Many are asking, who can show us any good? Let the light of your face shine upon us, O Lord. You have filled my heart with greater joy than when their grain and new wine abound. I will lie down and sleep in peace. For you alone, O Lord, make me dwell in safety. All right, go ahead and have a seat. Father, as we turn to your psalms this morning, these beautiful words of poetry penned by David through the Spirit, may you convict our hearts May you speak to them, and may your presence be here, because you are worthy of all glory and praise, and our hearts are not always inclined to give you that praise and and worship. May we find comfort in these psalms, but may they always turn to praise to you, for you are worthy, Father. We love you and adore you. May your words be the words that I speak, not my own. And if if something should be other than your words, hold my tongue, I pray, Spirit. We love you. We we seek to sit at the feet of the Master who teaches us all things. In your wonderful, precious name, amen. All right, this morning then, we'll be looking at various psalms from the view of the comfort that comes from God. This will finish up our brief month-long look at the Psalms before we go back into Genesis to look at how God formed a people for himself in Israel and moved through them in history toward his plan to redeem people from every tribe, tongue, race, and nation. Over the last few weeks, we've looked at the Psalms to see God lifted up and glorified through Psalms of enthronement, wisdom, and then last week we looked at Psalms of lament. After Psalms of Lament last week, we appropriately follow it this week with Psalms of Comfort. 
And as Ricky kind of told me this week as we were as, as, as we were kind of conversing after he said, hey, can you preach? And we, uh, he's like, there's actually, you know, there's technically psalms of enthronement and wisdom and lament, but there's really not psalms of technical comfort. There's just what we, I wanted to follow it up with. I thought that was interesting. Um, but we will, so that prompted me to, to go in the way that I went this morning in, with the sermon, okay? Um, so as we get started in the reading of Psalms today, I want to go over a few things then to prepare our minds and hearts for what we'll read. For comfort does not just automatically come from the words. Comfort is a spirit thing given through the spirit, if it is godly comfort. So first of all, the Psalms we are reading today are notated as being Psalms of David. David wrote it is said to be about half the Psalms of the 150 that are in the Bible. David's life and experience, orchestrated by God, is poured into these Psalms. He was known as a man after God's own heart, a term chosen for him by God himself. And herein lies the key to deriving comfort from reading these Psalms. Why was David called a man after God's own heart? Yes, he had faith and accomplished mighty deeds. He led armies and became king and directed the people of Israel to worship God. But he also lusted, committed adultery, murder. He sinned against God and grievously. So why did God call him a man after God's own heart? Was it because he was perfect or even morally better than most? Not at all, right? It wasn't because his acts of righteousness, moral goodness, was weighed against the wrong and found to have been outweighing the bad. Okay, It's not that. It was because, as we see in the Psalms, and as re is recorded in the book of Samuel, David treasured God. And not just as a trinket treasure. His heart longed for God longed for God. Throughout the Psalms, we get a look at David's heart, how he longed for and valued God above everything else, how he hated all that is opposed to God, how he hated evil, and the wretched results of those whose lives loved themselves, loved the world more than God. And we also see how when David's heart turned away from God at times to love things more than God himself, it grieved him to the core when he realized, when the Spirit revealed to him what he had done, how he had committed adultery in his heart against his true love, and how his heart had strayed and committed the very evil acts he professed to hate. We know David treasured God above all else, not because he was perfect, but because even after he loved something more than God, when his sin was exposed, he not only became distraught over his sin, wringing his heart over the wrong that he had done to his true love, but he repented then. He turned again his heart back to God to treasure him above all. He didn't continue to cultivate a love for the thing he sought God, a man after God's own heart. 
You could even say a man striving for God's heart. And here, then, is one of those keys. And really, the core of today's message. Where does your true love lie? Have you wrestled with that? You can say, of course I love God. I'm a Christian. He's first in my life. But then to wrestle with that in your own meditation in the dark where no one sees you, is he truly? So really reflect on this, not just now, but for your whole life. Daily inventory, now, tomorrow, Tuesday, Wednesday, 10 years from now, 15 years from now. Is, your, is God your true love? As we read in Philippians, I consider everything else rubbish if I can gain Christ. For as we will read today, this is what God truly wants. Not just a duty in following God, but your heart, your deepest affection, your deepest allegiance. God speaks this through the Bible. And James warns against this when he pleads for God's followers to wash your hands, you sinners, and purify your hearts, you double-minded. The double-minded are those who show others with certain acts on the outside that they are followers of God, but whose allegiance, whose true affections are not for him. Those who profess God to be their God, who may go to church, give their time and money to worthy and godly causes in the community and the world, who uphold an exterior righteousness, but who truly hold their affection elsewhere, whose love, when the layers are peeled back, when the core of their most treasured possession is exposed, is shown not to be God. This James calls double-minded. Like I said, God has something to say about this all over the Bible, throughout history, and to all people. In 1 Samuel 15, 22, he says, Samuel says, has the, Lord, has the Lord as great delight in burnt offerings and sacrifices as in obeying the voice of the Lord? Behold, to obey is better than sacrifice and to listen than the fat of rams. Obeying comes from the heart. It's not just obeying a command out of duty is what this is saying. Obeying from the heart because you love him. We're going to go into that in a little bit more later, but let me keep reading. Hosea 6.6, 6, For I desire steadfast love and not sacrifice, says the Lord, the knowledge of God rather than burnt offering. Amos 5.21-24, God says, I hate I despise your feasts, and I take no delight in your solemn assemblies. Even though you offer me burnt offerings and grain offerings, I will not accept them. And the peace offerings of your fattened animals, I will not look on them. Take away from me the noise of your songs. To the melody of your harps, I will not listen. But let justice roll down like waters and righteousness like an ever-flowing stream. It's not that he doesn't like the music and the song and the offerings. He doesn't like your heart in it. If it's not out of love for him. 
Mark 12, 33, Jesus says, and to love them with all the heart and with all the understanding and with all the strength and to love one neighbor's, one's neighbor as yourself is much more than all the burnt offerings and sacrifices. Jesus says, as recorded in Matthew 9, 13, go and learn what this means. I desire mercy and not sacrifice. For I came not to call the righteous, but sinners. And finally, D- David, through the Spirit, penned in Psalm 40, 6 through 8, Sacri- sacrifice and offering you did not desire, but my ears you have pierced. Burnt offerings and sin offerings you did not require. Then I said, here I am. I have come. It is written about me in the scroll. I desire to do your will, O God. Your law is within my heart. What is a double-minded person then? One who, like we said, when they go out of here, when they go out of the holy assemblies, no longer dwell on him. Who don't look for him in daily living. Who don't pour over scripture and prayer, seeking him and longing to do what he loves. And you say, Andy, this is a tall order. I can't love like that. Yeah, I can't either. You say, Andy, you don't know my life. You don't know my difficulties. Besides, Jesus himself says he washes all my sins away and I am covered by his blood. I am clothed in his righteousness and saved not by even my own will to believe in him, but because solely what he has done for me. And I tell you a resounding, I say with you, amen. It is true that Jesus has done all this and more. So don't hear me wrong in this. We're not saved by mustering up our will to obey him, by mustering up our faith. We are not saved by our own trying of anything. If we shrink, or sorry, if we think we are, then even this mustering of faith, this mustering of will is an empty sacrifice and a burnt offering. So again, you're right. The saving of us to God is his act alone through Jesus and the Holy Spirit. And yet, this is the point. This is what God is saying throughout the Bible. Those who are, going, who are doing good works to please God so that God owes them something, so that God owes them salvation, those are not works of love. Those are not obeying His commands. Those are not seeking His heart. That's, that's doing something to get something in return. You see that? Good works to, to, to press God's hand for something is not good works. It's the same thing. I, I always I use the marriage uh, illustration all the time. If I'm going to do the dishes because I hope Alyssa will do something for me, that's not, that's not doing it out of love. That's, that's selfish, Right? But if I do it, and I'm tired, and it's late, and I think, think of her, I think, gosh, I love her. I want to do something to show her I love her. And then I go do something for her and expect nothing in return. That's the heart God desires. So, he desires not sacrifice out of the wrong heart. 
those who are saved through Christ to God, those who see who they are, who, who they are apart from God, see what God has done for them and whose heart is changed, whose heart is no longer stone but flesh, those who have been brought from spiritual death to life are those who love God. They treasure Him, whose hearts, whose deepest affections are stirred by Him. So when the core of you, your deepest affections are for God, everything changes. The way you live, your desires, the way you spend your time, what you do with your possessions. And as we'll read today, how you'll find your comfort and peace through trials, suffering. Oh, and don't forget, prosperity. So when I have spent so much time on the prelude here, reading and going through the Psalms, it's because I want to make clear to you that the comfort, Psalms of comfort, the comfort and peace we are reading through will only be experienced by those whose deepest want is already him. If you're looking for a soundbite, a little saying or proverb or a motivation poster to put up and put a spring in your step or to lighten the load, pass on from here. The comfort and peace found in these passages are from God and Him alone. If at some point, maybe not now, but if at some point in your walk, you don't experience the profound and peace and comfort of the passages, this poetry penned by David through the Spirit. It's hard to say, but you may want to do a heart inventory on where your affections really deep down, the secret place of the secrets, really lie. Hard sayings, I know, but there is comfort and peace that the world can give but it is not the peace and comfort we read about here. This comfort and peace is not for the world, but it is spirit given to those who are born of the spirit and will be experienced by only those who are born of the spirit. So then, church, to those who long for God with your innermost being, God offers you these words of life and joy and peace and comfort. I'm going to turn, let's, we're already at Psalm 4. I'm going, to, I'm going to read them again. These are words to enjoy. Answer me when I call to you, O oh, my righteous God. Give me relief from my distress. Be merciful to me and hear my prayer. How long, O oh men, will you turn my glory into shame? And how long will you love delusions and seek false gods? Know that the Lord has set apart the godly for himself. The Lord will hear when I call to him. In your anger, do not sin. When you're on your beds, search your hearts and be silent. Offer right sacrifices and trust in the Lord. Many are asking, who can show us any good? Let the light of your face shine upon us, O Lord. You have filled my heart with greater joy than when their grain and new wine abound. I will love, oh, sorry, I will lie down and sleep in peace for you alone, O oh Lord, make me dwell in safety. So from here on out, we're just going to kind of 
not go real deep into it, but kind of pick apart these psalms because these are things that you can underline and do in your own private study, and I encourage you to do because these are deeply personal and completely satisfying and reaching when you search your heart and, and meditate and love God through them. But let's look real quick. It says, verse 1, answer me when I call to you. The king of the universe. You're going to say that to him? Who are the only people that can say that to him? The children of God. Right? Who can go up to a king and demand that except the child? He has called you his child. And we can say, Answer me when I call to you, oh my righteous God. It's a plea from the heart of one who longs for God right there. And the, I said, in the sheer fact that the God of all the universe hears one such as I and wants me, it's almost dumbfounding. Two. Verse two says, How long, O men, will you turn my glory into shame? And how long will you love delusions and seek false gods? What is David saying here? He's lamenting the divided heart, the double-minded, the seeking fulfillment, the self-worth, affections, comfort, and identity apart from God. How long will you love delusions and false gods? What does he respond to that? Know that the Lord has set the apart the godly for, self, for himself. I'm sorry. The Lord will hear when I call to him. Again, reflecting verse 1. Verse 4, in your anger do not sin. When you are on your beds, search your hearts and be silent. He's saying do not let anger foster bitterness. Anger will come. But it will not dwell there for those who love God. Let it not dwell and harbor in your heart. Instead, search your heart for where your trust lies. Why are you angry? And after you figure that out, just trust God to handle that. Offer right sacrifices and trust in the Lord. Six, then, I'm going to uh, go down to let the light of your face shine upon us, O Lord. Our ultimate comfort and peace is in God. His, you'll, you'll hear this in the Bible, face shine upon us. That face is his presence and love. A special feeling of his presence and love in your life, in your deep down heart of hearts. And this you can even feel he asks for, despite the circumstances of the world. He mentions the wealthy that he sees prosper. He says, I, I'm filled with heart, uh, sorry, my, you have filled my heart with greater joy than those who have great wealth, that when their grain and wine abound. That, that's, you know, that's wealth in that world, grain and wine, yes? How else do you find happiness except if you have a deep down love for God. I'll tell you in my own life, I've seen how my jealousy rears its ugly head when I see people prosper and I think they don't deserve that. I, 
I've done all this for God. Shouldn't I have that? My, that's not where I've done my heart check. That is, then, that's, then that's not where my love lies. It's not with God, it's with wealth. Let's go to Psalm 16. I have a lot of this one underlined. It's one of my favorites. <laughs> okay, read with me. Follow along. David says, Keep me safe, O God, for, I, for in you I take refuge. I said to the Lord, You are my Lord. Apart from you, I have no good thing. As for the saints who are in the land, They are the glorious ones in whom is all my delight. The sorrows of those will increase who run after other gods. I will not pour out out their libations of blood or take up their name on my lips. Lord, you have assigned me my portion and my cup. You have made my lot secure. The boundary lines have fallen for me in pleasant places. Surely I have a delightful inheritance. I will praise the Lord who counsels me. Even at night, my heart instructs me. I have set the Lord always before me. Because he is at my right hand, I will not be shaken. Therefore, my heart is glad and my tongue rejoices. My body also will rest secure. Because you will not abandon me to the grave, nor will you let your Holy One and some translations, your faithful ones, see decay. You have made known to me the path of life. You will fill me with joy in your presence, with eternal pleasures at your right hand. You see where, as we discuss how David longed for God, how you see through here that nothing brings him pleasure except for if he is with God. Right? First of all, let's go back to the top. What do we see again? Keep me safe, O God, for in you I take refuge. Where is he seeking his safety? Where is he seeking his refuge? In God. Physical and spiritually. Yes? One of my favorite verses in the Bible is right here, Psalm 16, 2. I said to the Lord, and I make this my prayer, you are my Lord, Apart from you, I have no good thing. Is that how you feel? When you search your heart of hearts, do you feel that? In fact, I'll probably say this again somewhere else, but um, actually, before I do, I'm going to mention... I'm going to turn there real quick. You don't have to. Psalm 34, 7, or 37, 4 says the same type of thing. Okay, so what we just read in, in Psalm 16 is, you are my Lord, apart from you I have no good thing. And in 37, 4, David says, delight yourself in the Lord, and he will give you the desires of your heart. What does David mean by that? Because a lot of times, you know, I, when I first read that maybe, I thought, well, if I love God, he's going to give me good things. That's all wrong, folks. 
if he's going to give me, if you think the desires, if I love God and he's going to give me the desires of my heart and all the things that pop into your head are not God, you've completely missed the point. What David means there, delight yourself in the Lord. If you do that, you already have the desires of your heart. He'll give you himself. That's what he means. If I have nothing, if I find everything else rubbish, if, as he says in 16, I have no good thing apart from you, give me yourself. Please, and you plead it, God won't withhold that from you. In fact, he gives. He gives lavishly, as we see in other parts of the Bible. And if you're saying, but, but Andy, I haven't, I don't know if I've really, I don't know if I felt that. I want it. Well, then ask. And ask that he be the desire of your heart. Let's keep going. In, in the fourth verse, he says, the sorrows of those will increase who run after other gods. Now, we may not be worshiping, you know, uh, the God of the grains and the God of, uh, you know, the banks and the God, I, you know, like uh, in mythology. But, but they would worship those gods to get something from them. Right? What are we worshiping to get something from or for? And it, so it eventually actually just turns all back to us. Right? He says the same thing as we just read in Psalm 4 2. Sorrow will only increase if you find your wealth and your fulfillment, your deepest heart's desires and delights from something other than God. It will rob you and leave you empty. Five. Lord, you have assigned me my portion and my cup, recognizing that God is our fulfillment and joy right here. Our wealth. That's our portion, our cup, our pleasure, and our future inheritance, our hope. And in this we find peace. You're starting to get where I'm coming back. Everything is all about God and finding delight in him because all delight and joy and peace only comes from the source and fountain of joy and love and peace. If you find it apart from that, you're not finding it. Seven and eight says, I will praise the Lord who counsels me. <laughs> the God of the universe, Yahweh, counsels me. Even at night, my heart instructs me. I have set the Lord always before me. Because he's at my right hand, I will not be shaken. We, church, have comfort, assurance, and peace because he is our counselor. And he is at my right hand, signifying, at my right hand, signifies an advocate in court. Support in battle. Companion on a journey. 9 and 10. Therefore my heart is glad and my tongue rejoices. <laughs> my body will also rest secure. Because you will not abandon me to the grave, nor will you let your faithful ones see decay. Or holy one, as it says in NIV. So much comfort and peace here, church. Because of the truth in this text above, my innermost self is glad, deep down glad, bringing forth overflowing praise, affecting even my body 
it says. This is also because he will not abandon us to the grave. He will not let his faithful ones see decay. David didn't realize at the time what he was writing through the Spirit right there, right? Prophecy. Why will we not be abandoned to the grave? Because Jesus was abandoned to the grave for you. And Jesus was raised and is the first fruits of the non-decay. You will not let your Holy One see decay. He did not stay there. He was risen, and we will follow him. 11, you have made known to me the path of life. You will fill me with joy. How? In your presence, with eternal pleasures at your right hand, because we know this. To those who treasure this and have nothing but this as their treasure, we have the path of life the mystery of Christ and his atonement and his redemption. Our eternal and uttermost joy is and will be fulfilled. Joy now and joy to come. Joy in whose presence? His presence. Eternal pleasures where? At his right hand. Hearts desired, fulfilled. Psalm 23. Let's turn there, folks. I don't know about you, but a lot of us, uh, we have this probably at least, if not memorized, just really close, right? You've heard this one before. And if you've been in music before, you, like Mark and I, you may have sung this in different capacities. One of the most beautiful pieces of poetry that David wrote. Listen through. The Lord is my shepherd. I shall not be in want. He makes me lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside quiet waters. He restores my soul. He guides me in paths of righteousness for his name's sake. Even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil for you are with me. Your rod and your staff, they comfort me. You prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. You anoint my head with oil. My cup overflows. Surely goodness and love will follow me all the days of my life, and I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. Like the first commandment, come back to the first part. The Lord is my shepherd. I shall not be in want. It's the same thing. It's the same thing. Like the first commandment, summing up the rest of the Ten Commandments, the first sentence sums up the rest of this psalm. Poetry that, poetry that brings out the meaning more fully of what it means for him to be our shepherd. If God is the one, I find my all, my protection, my head, my identity, then I will be satisfied. I will need or want nothing else. Truly, deep down, I won't have that anything missing. My delight will be in him. 
and he will fill my heart's desire. Not only will he provide my physical needs, he will satisfy my spiritual needs and the needs that go way down to my core. And though death should find me, it cannot harm me when I am protected by the shepherd. Why? Because Jesus, the shepherd, walked through the ultimate valley of death. He took death and wrath in our place so that we can walk through evil and ultimately come out unscathed. Now he also leads us in verse 2, he leads us through comfort and peace, through paths of righteousness. But he also leads us through darkness, the, the, uh, the gamut of life. In 4 and 5, protection and gentle care are seen in the midst of darkness. There's no despair, folks. Even supplying my needs, and often in the middle of darkness, in the presence of enemies, he gives a feast, or again, poetry, an even more intense presence of himself. How many of you have walked through darkness and find more peace almost than when you don't? I can speak to that myself. Not that I delight in pain, but I've noticed him in pain more than I have not. And so I am grateful for that, not for the pain, but because I feel him, I sense him, I see him. So he supplies my heart's desire through good and bad, and supplying our needs again in abundance. He does not withhold, he's not stingy an abundance of unexplainable peace and comfort amidst suffering. And finally, in verse 6, when the Lord is your shepherd, you have goodness and love. Some say mercy forever. It will not depart from you. It cannot be taken from you. You are in his presence now, but you will also be in his presence forever. This, folks, brings deep down, never-ending, to the core, joy, peace, and comfort in trials and prosperity. Let's go to Psalm 34. This one's a little longer, but it's so worthy of reading. We sang this one this morning, in part. David pens, I will extol the Lord at all times. His praise will always be on my lips. My soul, my soul will boast in the Lord. Let the afflicted hear and rejoice. Glorify the Lord with me. Let us exalt his name together. I sought the Lord and he answered me. He delivered me from all my fears. Those who look to him are radiant. Their faces are never covered with shame. This poor man called, and the Lord heard him. He saved him out from all of his troubles. 
the angel of the Lord encamps around those who fear him, and he delivers them. Taste and see that the Lord is good. Blessed is the man who takes refuge in him. Fear the Lord, you saints, for those who fear him lack nothing. The lions may grow weak and hungry, but those who seek the Lord lack no good thing. Come, my children, listen to me. I will teach you the fear of the Lord. Whoever of you loves life and desires to see many good days, keep your tongue from evil and your lips from speaking lies. Turn from evil and do good. Seek peace and pursue it. The eyes of the Lord are on the righteous, and his ears are attentive to their cry. The face of the Lord is against those who do evil to cut off the memory of them from the earth. The righteous cry out, and the Lord hears them. He delivers them from all their troubles. The Lord is close to the brokenhearted and saves those who are crushed in spirit. A righteous man may have many troubles, but the Lord delivers him from them all. He protects all his bones. Not one of them will be broken. Evil will slay the wicked. The foes of the righteous will be condemned. The Lord redeems his servants. No one will be condemned. No one will be condemned who takes refuge in him. Words of life, church, for those who love God, for those who cherish him above all else. I'm not going to take the time to pick that apart because there's so much in there that is comforting and beautiful. And I hope you see that. You can take time to dwell in that this week. But let's, let's all just kind of outline it a little bit here. One through three is praising the Lord. How does David start out? When you love God... When you, <laughs> when you love anything, you're going to tell people about it, right? Okay? I tell people about my wife all the time. She's pretty amazing. When, you, uh, when we love a football team and they do well, let me tell you about them. David, when he loves his God, he can't do anything but praise him and tell people about him. There it is in 1 through 3. 4 through 7 is about trial and deliverance. Notice, folks, that righteous men, righteous people, not the people who do good works, but the people who are of God, who are covered in Christ's righteousness, will they escape trials and suffering? No. And in fact, sometimes it's more so. But what is... What happens through the trials? He delivers them. And to our brothers and sisters in Afghanistan who might look at this and think, I don't see deliverance. I happen to think that even if their lives are taken from them, they think, yeah, I'm delivered. I'm already there. 8 through 10, taste and see. If you... If the Lord is good to you, 
you are blessed if he is your refuge, is what it says. Taste and see, you will be blessed if he is your refuge. Fear the Lord, and you will lack nothing. Seek the Lord, you will lack no good thing. It's the same thing we've been talking about. If God is your heart's desire, he will fulfill it. 11 through 14 is summed up. Those who love the Lord, these are those who love the Lord. A life like this is the result. The intentions of your heart desire is this. Come, my children, listen to me. I will teach you the fear of the Lord. Whoever loves the Lord and desires to see many good days will not, he will obey the Lord. He will stay away from evil. He will do what the Lord loves and stay away from what, the, the, what God does not desire and hates. Turn from evil and do good. Seek peace and pursue it, David says. 15 through 16. Let's come back to that one. I want to I come back to that one. Six, 17 through 18 is like 4 through 7. We see trial and deliverance. The righteous cry out and the Lord hears them. He delivers them from all their troubles. This one has meant a lot to me uh, <laughs> within this last half year. The Lord is close to the brokenhearted and saves those who are crushed in spirit. But it does not mean anything to people who don't know the Lord. That's the thing. He only saves those who love him. Nineteen through twenty, trial and deliverance again. Also, the prophecy of Christ's death. Right, the Lord. Oh, sorry, uh, He protects all His bones; not one of them will be broken. That's a prophecy that our Messiah uh, fulfilled. Right, not one of His bones bones is broken. Twenty-one through twenty-two. It's a compare and contrast between the evil and those who are of God. Compare and contrast for those of, who put their faith in themselves, the world, and those who trust in God. The evil are apart from God. Those who do not seek God and do not want him will in the end not have him. They will be condemned, he says, but the Lord redeems his servants. No one will be condemned who takes refuge in him. Same as in Romans 8. Therefore, there's now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. Let's go back to 15 through 16 before we end this. The eyes of the Lord are on the righteous, and his ears are attentive to their cry. The face of the Lord is against those who do evil. To cut off the memory of them from the earth. The face, the presence of the Lord is against those who do evil. What does that mean? The evil, those who don't desire him, right? And in Psalm 37, 9, it says, for evil men will be cut off. This is what I want to ask you on, on, on regarding to this little line right here. How would it make you feel to be cut off from God? Have you searched this down in your heart? Have you meditated on it? Or are you passive? Do you feel in your heart that you'll find something else 
if you're cut off from God, or maybe your heart already loves something else more anyway, so it doesn't affect you. I would say to you, if God is your is the one thing you can't live without, if you consider everything else rubbish except to attain Christ, and you can't live without it, how does this make you feel? The evil will be cut off from the Lord. Would you despair? I can tell you at least at this point in my life that I've wrestled with this. And it's nice to say that I'm there. If I have nothing else, if I have everything else, and God says, you don't have me, I am done. I give up. Nothing else is worth it. I hand in the towel. I, 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 I give up. I don't want it. I consider everything else to be rubbish except to gain Christ. Is that what your heart says? Wrestle with it. It may not say it every day and every hour and every minute, but ask God for that desire. To be cut off from God, I'm getting back into this, do you plea like David does in Psalm 27, do not hide your face from me. Do not reject me or forsake me, oh my God. Or in Psalm 38, he says, Oh Lord, do not forsake me. Be not far from me. Oh God, come quickly to help me. Oh Lord, my Savior. Or is it like Jesus, who loved God perfectly and actually was cut off from him in our place when he cries out, quoting Psalm 22, My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Is that your heart? You see, those lamenting songs we read last week, only one whose deepest desire is for God can cry out like that. To despair at the thought of being cut off from him. These psalms of comfort, these life-giving words of God from God are for you. He says, God says, I will never leave you nor forsake you. And church, how can this be when God can't be near sin and we still sin and don't treasure and love him perfectly as Christ did? How can he not forsake us? I hope you know the answer to this one because it's sweet. Because the one who did love him perfectly, Jesus, who deserved all of God's love and affection, deserved it, who deserved the precious presence of God, was cast out and forsaken in our place. Oh, the love of God. Reflecting on this goodness, John cries out as we do, how great is the love the Father has lavished on us that we should be called children of God. That is what we are. How can this not affect you, I say? If you were a child of God, 
if you love him, meditating on these brings you to fall on your face and worship. For church, God says to those who love him and are his own, I will never leave you nor forsake you. And he says, I am always, I'm with you always, even to the end of the age. And he says, the Lord is near to all who call on him, to all who call on him in truth. All these comforts and more are yours in God through Christ and will come only to those who love God and long for him above all. So, church, with that, let the last words of this sermon be from God through the pen of David and through the mouths of his children as we read together Psalm 45. One, sorry, 145. Please turn to Psalm 145. And you can stand or sit however is most worshipful to you. But let's pray and praise these words. Psalm 145. Pray them in your heart and praise our God through them. I will exalt you, my God, the King. I will praise your name forever and ever. Every day I will praise you and extol your name forever and ever. Great is the Lord and most worthy of praise. His greatness no one can fathom. One generation will commend your works to another. They will tell of your mighty acts. They will speak of the glorious splendor of your majesty, and I will meditate on your wonderful works. They will tell of the power of your awesome works, and I will proclaim your great deeds. They will celebrate your abundant goodness and joyfully sing of your righteousness. The Lord is gracious and compassionate, slow to anger and rich in love. The Lord is good to all. He has compassion on all he has made. All you have made, all you have made will praise you, O Lord. Your saints will extol you. They will tell of the glory of your kingdom and speak of your might, so that all men may know of your mighty acts and the glorious splendor of your kingdom. Your kingdom is an everlasting kingdom and your dominion endures through all generations. The Lord is faithful to all his promises and loving toward all he has made. The Lord upholds all those who fall and lifts up all who are bowed down. The eyes of all look to you and you give them their food at the proper time. You open your hand and satisfy the desires of every living thing. The Lord is righteous in all his ways, and loving toward all he has made. The Lord is near to all who call on him, to all who call on him in truth. He fulfills the desires of those who fear him. He hears their cry and saves them. The Lord watches all over all who love him, but all the wicked he will destroy. 
my mouth will speak in praise of the Lord. Let every creature praise his holy name forever and ever. Father, you are worthy of praise. May this psalm be our prayer. May these psalms we just read be our prayers. And may we find comfort in them because our king died to make it happen. He saved us. Father, you saved us. Jesus was forsaken in our place. When he cried out to you, you could not answer him for you were dealing the punishment we deserved on him so that now we can cry out to you and we can receive the comfort and peace and joy that Jesus so rightfully deserved, we get because of him. Father, I pray for those who who love you and who say that we love you even when we do actions that show you we don't, I pray that you develop the love. You continue to work your salvation in our lives to sanctify us, to love you more and love everything else less. Consider it rubbish to gain Christ. To despair at the thought of being cut off from our God. Oh, that that should happen. Please, Father, do never, ever take your presence away from us. You said you won't to those who love you. How good and gracious you are. May we end this with a praise of you in song and go out from here and love the world, but seek you Love the world because you loved us and seek you first in our hearts so that everything else really is rubbish if we don't have Christ and God and the Holy Spirit. We love you, Father. It's in your wonderful and precious, mysterious, holy name. Amen.